Hello, this is uh, Real Sankara Hours. Real Sankara Hours. This is um, Adam Hudson. Follow me at Adam Hudson 5 and follow us um, at Sankara Hours on Twitter. And this is Peter M. Gunn. Follow me at M. Gunn Peter. Because um, we all need some followers in these trying times, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, we are recording. Uh, this obviously under a, a global pandemic, unlike anything we've seen. Actually, the last time um, I was doing some research, but the last time... Uh, Spanish flu, baby. Yeah, and actually 1920 was an election that year. It's 2020, so yeah. literally... Oh, well, I think it started in like 1918. It lasted for a little while. Yeah. It was... Yep. Yeah, if you think about it, we're one-fifth of the way through the 20th century. Yep. So, um, yeah, so in the Bay Area, uh, where I'm at, in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, pretty much uh, there is a shelter-in-place policy, which basically means um, stay in your home unless you have to get, like, necessities, groceries, um, that kind of thing. Um, so, basically, it's, effect- it's effectively a quarantine, and um, before we recorded, I had to go get some... Um, some supplies and uh it seems like normal life is still going on um but you some know degree. yeah it's just i see a lot more hand sanitizer um a lot more um face masks um a lot of uh a lot of so a lot of restaurants and things like that are just closed so like chipotle's closed there's this restaurant slot yeah it's empty empty and this is um I'm recording this, we're recording this on March 19th, and I was there in the afternoon, and uh, Chipotle was completely empty, because um, there's, where the Trader Joe's is at, there's a Chipotle right across from it, and the Chipotle was empty, um, and uh, there's this other restaurant slash bar called Tailgaters that was closed, um, so yeah, and I've been working from home doing the online education thing, which is really weird because it's like it's such a weird shift to go immediately into online education when a lot of staff and students aren't prepared for it um so yeah that's pretty much oh and two days ago it was my birthday so my birthday was under fucking quarantine (laughs) happy birthday yeah um yeah so that was it was yeah kind of it's very surreal uh but yeah, how have you? Wait, how have you been, Peter? Because I know uh, you have a story to I'll, tell. Yeah, um, we'll get to. I don't, we'll get to all of that. I think at the end. But overall, yeah, the bar that I work at is shut down. Obviously, um, basically, yeah, everyone in the state is, and that's really bad for where I live because it's a very tourism-based city, tourism slash alcoholism-based economy. Um, and I don't know how long it's going to last. They said two weeks. I really do not feel like I'm going to be back to work in two weeks. Yeah. I just get that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, they made it easier to get on unemployment, so that's good. Um, I'll have, I guess I'll have that, plus I guess there's these Trump checks coming, which, uh, I don't, I don't, I mean, look, I'll, I'm going to take the money. It doesn't matter what I think about the government, right? Right. Like, uh, I def- that, that definitely would help me out in the next month because, like, 
it's very weird. Just, you know, as someone who's generally a recluse, it's not that bad. It's like, oh, go out, d- stay home and don't do anything. Well, I already do that. Um, and now I don't even have to worry about going to work. But, I, you know, we'll see. I plan to get a lot of writing done, and I have a lot of edibles left, so I'll be okay for a little while. Yeah, for, for my birthday, I bought a bottle of um, Jack Daniels whiskey. Um, this is a, you know, we're, I know we're a socialist podcast, but we're also a black podcast. So Jack Daniels, black dude invented it. Um, the formula to create Jack Daniels, um, was created by, um, uh, an, an enslaved African in the United States. And, uh, I think his name was Nathan Green, but he basically gave the kind of the formula to Jack Daniel. So, um, in honor, Jack Daniel. Yeah. So in honor of the ancestors, Got some Jack Daniels. Um, and also it's my birthday. And since, yeah, we had to stay indoors for a long time, um, that bottle's going to last me a while. Um, yeah. <laughs> or not. I mean, yeah. <laughs> honestly, it's like you might as well just get drunk. Yeah. Do drugs right now. I don't. If you got nothing else to do. Yeah. You might. You might as well. It's better than just like, I don't even know what you could do, really. I, I, w- Other, yeah. I mean. Other other than, like, read, but, you yeah. know, people aren't going to do that. Yeah, th- this is a perfect time to don't read Infinite Jest. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Um, they're like a, there really isn't, like, a black epic novel that's not Roots. Um, yeah. So, I don't know what would be on brand, but uh, read that. Um, I liked Invisible Man, but, yeah, I don't know if Invisible Man is considered, like, one of the it's, epics. I mean, it's 400 pages. You should reread it, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a good book. Um, Ralph Ellison, I, Ralph Ellison was a communist, by the way. I mean, he, yeah, he was in a communist yeah, party. Yeah, I think at one point, at one point though, yeah. he might have turned CIA. A lot of writers did in the 50s. Um, Ishmael Mumbo Jumbo is about a pandemic, so, mm. um, oh, a pandemic of blackness or something i don't know i need i'm gonna get back into that um i yeah before we go on i want to uh kind of just give a brief sort of rundown of what the hell coronavirus is so i'll just just i'll just break it down a little bit just to get get us all on the same page so this particular coronavirus is called um covid19 so there's other coronaviruses like sars mers those are technically coronaviruses but this particular one is oh wow the plot thickens wow yeah so this one's called uh, covid19 this is a very new virus that we are not immune to so people have been comparing it to the flu so it's not i mean you know it's it's semantics right so there are some ways in which you can compare it to the flu in the sense of like in order to avoid it you got to wash your hands um uh um cough into your elbow um, that kind of stuff, but the symptoms of COVID nineteen, which is this particular coronavirus, so fever, cough, but what's different than the typical flu is um, shortness of breath and how it uh, impacts your lungs. And so, even some of the people I've heard, this is even out of um, China. So, like they've 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 learned in China that uh, I think it's China, Japan, or, or some other country, but uh, I I say yeah, I think China. Um, they realized that some of the patients who recovered from COVID-19 had um, damage to their lungs. So um, so this particular COVID-19 um, 
can be compared a lot to uh, SARS because SARS had uh, similar symptoms. So um, some of the more uh, severe um, symptoms are, and actually this just happened. Uh, there is a guy, 34 years old. He went to Disneyland like earlier this month and he just recently died. And one of his symptoms was coughing up blood. So that's, Man. yeah, if you have like a very s severe reaction to it, that's one of them. So he just, I, yeah. I just want to say, I think there was like a day or so where they were like, where California was going to shut everything down except Disneyland. Yep. They're like, what? No. Then they're yeah. like, what are you talking about? Like, All right, fine. We'll shut down Disneyland. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Disneyland's a big moneymaker for California. So um, the, the thing, what's particularly unique about COVID-19 and I, this, I'm not a doctor. I'm just calling together the best, the, the, as much public information I can as possible about COVID-19 so far. So this is what I've. This is my sort of summation uh, assessment of it. Um, so was particularly uh, unique in a dangerous way about COVID-19 is how far, how how fast it travels and how fast it spreads. That's what's unique about it and how contagious it is because it's. For what I understand, it's largely an airborne um, virus, so that's why you see people with face masks. So they advise that if you have symptoms of COVID-19, you wear a uh, face mask so you're not breathing into the air and, and transmitting it to other people. Um, and usually a lot of people who are infected with the virus are asymptomatic, so they don't have the symptoms of COVID-19, but they could infect someone else who... And usually the people who die of COVID-19 usually have uh, some other illness. Um, in fact, I'll just I'll just reading this. Uh, apparently in Italy, 99% um, of the, those who died from the virus had other illnesses. This is in Bloomberg. So in China, I think it was um, a lot of. I remember I went to I went to China when I was young in 2002, and I remember then, and I think it's still the case now that a lot of people smoke in China. So they found that um, a lot of people who, who died of COVID-19, a lot of them were smokers in the U.S. So people who have like um, any kind of heart problems or respiratory problems or any other illness, like let's say, or, or anything that can kind of compromise your immune system. So people who are elderly, cancer patients, they're more likely to die of COVID-19. Now, you can, you can still recover from COVID-19, but it's going to suck. Like, it's gonna, like, so, let's not downplay how bad this is, because even if you do, you know, survive, which most, most people who get COVID-19, most of them survive and recover, but the ordeal is, is terrible. It's not, it is not fun at all, so, um, so, so, and that's, yeah. And that's, like, assuming that that's just purely medical in the sense that it, it's not taking into account, like, the strains put on the health system. Exactly. Such that, like, you know, the, in the worst case scenario, like, people have to ration care and stuff. Yeah. So that, like, they literally, like, in Italy, mm -hmm. the, they are, like, actually doing death panels pretty much. as far as I know. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I think anyone over 80 is, like, they're, they're just like, okay, this person, they got to die. I mean, this, this is a very, that's pretty much where we're at. So, um... So they have found, and I'm going to compare this to um, another pandemic from centuries ago, the bubonic plague in 1665, 1666. So 
the bubonic plague killed a lot of people. That's the second. That's the second wave, right? Yeah. So I think I think so. so yeah, there was the big the big the big bad one was in like the 1300s. Yeah. And fun fact about that: a big reason for it happening was whatever dipshit pope was in charge at the time decided that like cats were evil and so he ordered like the mass killing of cats all across Europe. What the fuck? So then when these rats showed up with the plague and yeah, that's uh that's that's the smartest greatest continent on earth. So so this is why so-called social distancing, so basically distancing yourself from people at least 3 feet or staying away from large crowds of people is the best way to to mitigate the spread of um COVID-19. Um, so again, yeah, the pe- people, people with, um, because this is a, a new virus, it's not like the flu where we've, our immune systems have evolved to have some resistance to it. Um, so our bodies are not used to this new virus. So that's why there is, uh, this panic. So there's no vaccine for it. There are antiviral treatments. Um, Japan just came out with one. I think Cuba has one. Oh, yeah, but I thought Cuba was at, was close to an actual vaccine. No, so so I just looked this up. There's a difference between an antiviral treatment versus a vaccine. Antiviral treatments are if someone is sick, the antiviral treatment basically treats them. And so so basically, there's this antiviral treatment in Japan that's uh, been proven effective in China. And by the way, with China, as of today that we're recording they've they're experiencing a drop in covid 19 cases um the real danger is in italy italy is like italy is basically where china was at a couple months ago so china right now has has the spread under control and china said that um there is a uh an anti i think yeah it was a flu drug oh there we go yeah it was a flu drug developed by japan that's so i think it's kind of it's I don't know if it's an antiviral per se, but basically, um, people who took this Japanese flu drug uh, wound up um, testing negative after they tested positive for COVID nineteen. But when it comes to antiviral treatments, um, what those do, they basically, um, yeah. So if 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 a person or an animal is sick, um, it, it it basically uh, treats treats them when they've okay. Yeah. So. If you've become sick, the antiviral treats you, whereas a vaccine prevents the disease from happening in right. the first place. So that's why you get flu shots every single year, is to prevent you from getting the flu. So there are antiviral treatments when it comes to COVID-19 that, that seem to be effective. So if someone has COVID-19, there are some you know, t- treatments that are there that, can, that, that so far have been proven um, successful. But at the moment, there is no vaccine because, again, this is a new virus. So there is no vaccine for it. That can take close to a year, and uh, we can get into this more. But part of part of the, part of what's going to delay it is um, corporations want to make money off the vaccine. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, yeah, I have some thoughts. Yeah. About that. So we we can touch on that later, but I'll I'll put a pin in that. Um, so so yeah, like that's that's why social distancing is so important. Um, and the people who did social distancing was, again, during the bubonic plague in England um, in the mid-1600s. So at the time, they didn't know what the hell was causing the bubonic plague, but they kind of reasoned that, hey, if we just, you know, stop, you know, being around each other and practice self-isolation, that could mitigate the spread. And it, it worked. Um, there's an article in The Guardian that... Um, 
was re- I, I want to read a, uh, just a few, um, um, n- not a few, like maybe, da, 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 yeah, two paragraphs. Um, what is clear to many, however, is that Aeom's story, Aeom is one of the villages in England, story remains a powerful example not only of how diseases are transmitted, then as now via trade routes and centers, but also of how successful social mobilization can contain outbreaks. Um, for the Derbyshire villages in the mid-1660s, the trade that the, tr- the trade that brought the plague was cloth, and the source of it was London, where thousands were already dying. So this is pretty much similar to today, is that the way COVID-19 spreads is through large congregations of people, trade. So that's why so that's why doctors are saying, look, practice social distancing because I'm sure everyone's heard of that the 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 curve or whatever it is. Flatten the curve. There you go. Yeah, flatten the curve, which basically means to to not overwhelm the hospital system. So that's pretty much where we're at. Um, China has been so far pretty effective in terms of mitigating the crisis. So is South Korea and Vietnam. Um, and again, because the symptoms don't appear for like a, around two weeks, it's very difficult to to know who has and who doesn't. So that's why testing is so important. So China had like I think some CT scanner tests. South Korea had drive-through tests. Um, same with Vietnam. So those countries aggressively tested their population, and then once they figured out based on tests, okay, this person has COVID-19, quarantine them, treat them, and that strategy so far has worked, at least in, in those countries, which is very different than how our country is dealing with, which we can get into right now. So um, I think, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I'll just... Let me, let me, go ahead. Let me say... Um... I did not do nearly as extensive research on this. The research I did was rewatching Outbreak, mm. um, which was a movie made in 1995 about a different... I mean, it's an imaginary plague that, of course, comes from Africa. But what's interesting about it is that um, the main villain, because this was the 90s when there weren't all action movies, like they couldn't use the Soviet Union and they didn't couldn't use Arabs yet. Mm. So, like, all the main villains were, like, generals in the U.S. military. Mm. And it gets to, like, uh, you know, sort of the thesis of the movie is that, like, they had they had known about this disease for decades. They had it in, like, you know, the bioweapons lab. And let's be clear, that's not, like, the United States has a confirmed biological weapons program. And so every like infection every terrible disease we like have a copy of and i i'm just gonna say i don't necessarily believe it came from bats but i'll just leave it at that um but yeah in this in the at the end of the movie there's this uh this out of control general wants to basically not nuke but completely blow up the one town that's been quarantined Mm. um in order to save the country but of course our hero uh Dustin Hoffman comes out at the end with the uh they like synthesize the vaccine in an out in two days and um you know the like the day is saved but it you know I it was uh I like like when you mention how close it is to SARS it makes like these things keep reappearing every few years and I really you know aside aside from whether or not not going to get into what specifically happened though i mean look up the 2019 military world games sorry to get a little kooky (laughs) on you 
but uh, there is this uh, military. It's basically like the military Olympics, where like you know soldiers from all over the world, including of course the United States, came and would come to like do stuff, and it was in Wuhan in October. So. Yeah, um, that gets so I think like I think in terms of how this where this virus came from like i think there's a lot of stuff that again we don't know which i think is is important to to clarify that there's a lot of stuff that is not known um what i did was basically give us as best a summation of like as i could about what is known um in terms of where it, the this new virus came from um so i think the 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 was so far accepted by a lot of experts is that it came from i guess like wet markets in china and from bats but the chinese government is saying which you know i'm not saying that they're right or wrong but this is like another i think plausible explanation what they're saying is it's not that covid19 is a biological weapon per se but that what could have happened is that the first case of covid19 probably occurred in the united states and possibly what happened is during the military games, some soldier in China probably spread it in China. So that's what the Chinese government is uh, some uh, at least one official from the Chinese government yeah. was saying that. I think I yeah, that. um, that's not confirmed. We're still figuring stuff out, but um, the reason why I I think it's plausible is because with the Spanish flu in 1918, they called it the Spanish flu because that was the first Spain was the first country to document it but the origin of the flu wasn't actually in spain it was pr most likely i think uh in france or uh british soldiers who had the flu and then so again i, I, I just want to make that historical parallel nothing's been confirmed about the source of the flu of sorry of covid19 but um you know if if if, if we're going to make a comparison to the spanish flu and especially with naming this virus the spanish flu again I, I think so far researchers who have researched the so-called Spanish flu after like after it have said that it most likely did not originate in Spain. Spain was the first country to document it. So we're still figuring out, we're still investigating in terms of where this, again, this particular new virus uh, originated. But I think, you know, and, and some people want to say like, oh, it's not that deadly, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, yeah, like in terms of, death toll and you want to, if you want to get into those nitty-gritty numbers okay yes it's not as deadly as the spanish flu or other diseases but given how yeah given how contagious it is the span like the spanish flu was around for four yeah. years so so we don't we don't uh, know how deadly it can be and also it's, it's more contagious so right now it might yeah. not be deadly right now it might not be deadly but it could be deadlier as time goes on i will i, I will also yeah. say one one thing and then one more solid thing one the first thing i would say is that like you couldn't have like a better weaponized virus to fuck up the entire world economy mm. and it doesn't i don't know if it really makes sense that anyone would intentionally do that but it is like pretty amazing how it's like yeah you can have it for two weeks and not know yep. um, but what is definitely true is that they are using this opportunity by they, I mean, you know, state apparatuses are using this opportunity to test out all sorts of, you know, I guess, pseudo martial law, crowd control, repressive maneuvers, yep. 
measures mm-hmm. um, to and I think that part of this is that like they are anticipate you know those kinds of measures will probably show up a little more frequently in the future as you know climate catastrophes accelerate and stuff like that so I think that they are def you know yeah like state apparatuses are definitely trying to they're definitely like sort of I won't say milking it, but they are, they're not waste. They're, you know, I guess I feel like the main, you know, the shock doctrine ethos of don't let a good crisis go to yep. waste. They're definitely not. So, that. yeah, actually, I'm glad you said that because um, I think this is a Mon- this is a Monday, but the Senate, you know, as we've, as we've been, you know, the entire world is, you know, pretty much fucking glued to COVID-19. Um, what the Senate did, um, I think, oh. It was I'm sorry. So Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell plans to push through a vote on the USA Reauthorization Act of 2020. Um, so basically, Mitch McConnell's pushing forward this bill. To, Is that the Patriot Act? Bas- yeah, it's basically. Um, so if so, I'm I'm looking at this article, this Common Dreams article, and it says so if it's signed by President Trump. It would reauthorize Section 215 of the USA Patriot Act, which that's the one that grants for um, unwarranted collection of, of phone records. So the, the phone surveillance and all that. So it would reauthorize that section of the Patriot Act. So this is being done, you know, while everyone's sort of glued to the crisis of COVID-19. This is also this is also being done. So, yeah, the state is, you know, behind closed doors, finding ways to maintain the the national security state the surveillance state so that's something to also pay attention to and and not just the state too i mean corporations yep. the bourgeoisie they are all you know whatever i don't know i i haven't looked into it but i feel like whatever kind of loose ends need to be tied up around perhaps like the epstein saga they'll, they're going to be tying those up when no one's paying attention um you know they're um, corporations are using this to figure out like how much they can work from home, how lean of a staff they can have to operate. Mm-hmm. What's it, you know, the societal questions of like what's going to happen if we put everyone out of work for two months? Um, you know how like uh, yeah, all all of that stuff is uh, people say that. You know, this is revealing all the contradictions and absurdities of the system. But I think the system, broadly speaking, is also going to take this, you know, chance to look at those exposed absurdities and vulnerabilities and patch a few of them up. So I wouldn't get your hopes up too much about yeah the idea that this crisis is going to, you know, reveal the system for what it is. Yeah. You know, and that's going to cause it to collapse. And al- and also, like I think, you know, with this uh, stimulus package that Trump Trump is uh, Trump and Congress are are pushing through, which would essentially, I, I guess, so there's going to be two checks, right? Like two one thousand dollar checks. That's that's what I that's what I was told. I got a text from okay. the manager of the place I work yeah. at that basically said that they're going to be. It's kind of messed up in the sense that. Um, they did end up doing some means testing for it. So it's like you get, if you earn under $75,000, you get the, you'll get the check, but it's going to be mailed to your workplace. Mm. So yeah. So if you don't have like a workplace, 
then you're kind of screwed. There's there's a sort of supplemental thing of like six hundred dollars that is uh that's for like I guess basically like people on disability and stuff like that. But I if you're homeless, like I don't think you get anything. Um, there's no place for you to collect it. And yeah, it fa yeah, it phases so it's a little I mean, I it may be politically popular because everyone likes getting checks from the government, yeah. but um, it's not. It shouldn't be seen because I've seen some people who are like, "Yeah, no, man, this is like the Republicans are now going to be like the social welfare party," and it's like, no, they're still going to do oh, neoliberal yeah. bullshit. Uh, right, that won't change. Yeah. by neoliberal bullshit, I mean you know means testing under funding stuff. But they are, you know, getting the PR win from this, I think, because the Democrats seem to, they were, they wanted like more means testing or something. I think Kamala Harris is like, no, it started out with $500. So it's like, yeah, it does it, you know, they're, they're, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the Democrats maybe in a later episode, but um, it's very weird yeah. that there's like still a can an election and a primary and a campaign going on. Um, oh yeah, and and, and this is uh, yeah. So two things, um, or a couple, uh, two, maybe two or three things. Well, one, um, there's a good article in the Intercept um, called um, "How Big Pharma Will Profit from the Vaccine," and um, so there's already like tests being done on on vaccines. So I think China said that they'll have a vaccine ready for testing in april but again like you know when it comes to testing drugs like it, they they have to go through these tests to make sure that they're safe and that there are no really bad side effects so there's that aspect but i think another aspect that's important to look out for is uh to what extent big pharma and the pharmaceutical industry will use this as an opportunity to profit from the vaccine rather than making it a free publicly available vaccine that um everyone needs to get so that's yeah. something to be on the lookout for also the um yeah i think what so what's really going on i think what's what concerns me more so than the particular scientific lethality so to speak of covid19 is to the extent it our, our entire political and economic system is getting a stress test because i think what it's showing is that um this neoliberal project since, you know, the set, basically since the late 70s, but definitely since the 80s. Adam, what's neoliberalism? <laughs> so neoliberalism, uh, one way to think of it is, is um, basically, um, essentially uh, an economic project where markets um, are, there's a lot of deregulation with uh, market activity, right? I, I like, I guess, I, I, I don't I feel like I can make this pithier. Go ahead. I feel like my definition of liberalism is like the principles of liberalism apply to the idea that corporations are people. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And neoliberalism and, and you know, I think to some extent, like maybe we're going to have to get sharper with our language because I think that, yeah, the term neoliberalism gets thrown around a lot. But really what neoliberalism emphasized, particularly in the 80s, was it was essentially a backlash against the welfare state. So in 
pretty much since the six, the sixties and seventies in particular. Well, since the thirties. I mean, re- really, yeah, really, since the thirties is yeah. when uh, Keynesianism, as they call it, uh, sort of became hegemonic among like the sort of yeah. government bureaucratic economists and stuff, which basically said that like it's good and beneficial for the government to regularly intervene in the market to promote stability and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And in the set and, you know, that was responsible for kind of the build up, you know, sort of the fifties golden age. A lot of that was res- made possible by, you know, heavy government intervention, but by the seventies, like everything had sort of, you know, slowed down, and was the economy like economies were stalling out and they called it like stagflation where like the economy was stagnant but there was still inflation and you know milton friedman among others basically came up with this idea that you know what we need to do is unchain the markets and really let them uh really really let them you know do what they do and you know that and basically admittingly let corporations like run the world and not yeah and part of that includes basically getting rid of the government as anything other than a repressive state yeah um, yeah and and i'll i'll jump near i'll i'll jump in because um i want to um kind of i think sort of explain why people on the left because i think like um particularly on social media twitter all that shit um you know from the so-called bernie bro left or whatever like i i hear reactions from liberal democrats saying like why are you saying neoliberal like blah 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 so the term neo i think it's really important to define what neoliberalism is and basically yeah what one quick way to think of neoliberalism is that it's essentially a backlash against the 1930s welfare state the keynesian kind of sort of social welfare state program that was used to address the crisis of the Great Depression uh, implemented under FDR, which is basically that, like, okay, markets, capitalism, left alone, are one, unstable, and two, cannot provide for people's needs. So the answer with Keynesianism, which really is a compromise between socialism and and capitalism, like, that's basically... Yeah, yeah, that was... that was them inner that was you know fdr like the new deal was a ploy to save capitalism and that was why he was doing it yeah Um, and that's bernie sanders when he says he's you know he talks about fdr new deal bernie sanders even though he says he's a socialist he's basically a middle ground between socialism and capitalism um so, so it's a return to essentially welfare state kind of liberal capitalism i guess it's one way to think of it so neoliberalism is basically a backlash against that it's saying like you know what this whole welfare state program welfare state program is too large it makes people lazy and we're saying this stuff so that's why you got welfare reform under clinton which gutted the gutted welfare implemented well yeah add add more precarity to the labor force is part of it because Mm -hmm. you don't want like stuff like a federal job guarantee you don't there's there are certain there's certain benefits to like having i think it's like the national that friedman called it like the natural rate of unemployment which is like you don't 
if everyone can have a job, then it's like, then you don't have that fear of like, you have to perform or else you're going to get fired, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so, you know, so Clinton gutted welfare, but also a lot of deregulation, particularly removing the Glass-Steagall Act, which was that firewall between commercial banking and investment banking, which helped precipitate the 2008 financial crash. So that's neoliberalism. Basically, it's like, okay, this large welfare state, we're going to hollow it out. Like, they're not going to, like, they don't, they don't really say they want to, well, at least with with neoliberal Democrats, third-way Democrats like Bill uh, Clinton and all them, um, you know, aren't really pushing for eliminating the welfare state, but it's weakening it to the point where it makes it easy to eliminate it. And this also ties into Joe Biden the fucking debate where he basically lied through his teeth about social security which bernie sanders pointed out that like during 2011 during the whole debt ceiling that basically it's a long story but i think that was a whole like kind of manufactured austerity crisis but basically when joe biden said yeah um when joe biden said that i'm willing to put social security on the table for cuts basically that's that's neoliberalism in a nutshell because social security is supposed to be a third rail you're not supposed to cut it so when people on the left say call other democrats neoliberals neoliberals basically what we're pointing out is the essentially the neoliberal orthodoxy that undergirds the current democratic party and what bernie sanders is saying is like he's basically returned to that 1930s welfare state form of democratic party uh yeah in a sense another point i want to make and i will tie this back to the to covid19 is that a big part of neoliberalism and the neoliberal project because it's not just it isn't just like sort of a trend among economists as much as it is you know sort of this whole civilizational project where like everyone's an entrepreneur and stuff but a big part of that is also basically hollowing out the government and hollowing out whole functions of the government. Instead of having government agencies, you have private contractors yep. because the theory goes that they're more efficient, which is insane. Um, like probably 85% of Amer- of all the corruption in America is because of like private contractor deals and so many. And Republicans love this stuff especially, but... It's little it's also like very epistemological in the sense that especially Republican politicians, especially like if you have some sort of Republican governor in your state or whatever, they very much believe that the private sector should and has a responsibility to step up and do these social problems mm-hmm. and solve social problems yeah. and they want that and they don't believe that the government should do stuff like that. So, when it comes to something like creating a vaccine, a place like China, where like, you know, or even South Korea has state owned state owned firms where like they can just, you know, require that they produce this amount of vaccines. Right. And then just distribute them. And like the state will take the hit. But it's governments aren't households is which is to say that like government it's forcing government to have a balanced budget is often kind of insane. Yeah. Um, that's a side point. But. My point is that, so, when it comes, but we don't do that, really, as much in the United States. I mean, there's still some government institutions, but, yeah, we don't, you know, the post office is the only, like, nationalized industry, and there are pushes to privatize it all the time. So, we don't, it's not like the government owns vaccine factories where 
they could, you know, once they had it, they could just make it and, uh, you know, then distribute it. They have to convince Pfizer or whoever to do this. And they're not, you know, they're going to do it with their guys and their research and all this shit. And they and they're not going to do it until they're, you know, convinced it's viable. And all the government can do is add incentives or something. But it it actually is going to like, you know, Republicans and most and, you know, most Democrats are like it's structurally they'd be structurally incapable of doing of, you know, sort of manufact, you know, distributing a test widely like that, um, you know, in such quick turnaround precisely because of these reasons. And and to um, to your point about, you know, private contractors, you can see that with schools, the whole emphasis on scar- charter schools and school choice, which um, Arnie Duncan, Barack Obama's secretary of education he was a huge proponent of charter schools and and school choice which basically is like hey the public school system sucks um charter schools are better blah 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 uh well charter schools are no they're all the data shows that charter schools are not more effective than public schools and um the other issue with charter schools is um they because they they're selective with the student population they can take in um, they they oh, often yeah. don't take in students with special needs, which is usually the student. Or yeah. yeah, or if they or if there's a problem kid, they can just kick yep. him out, and it won't affect their statistics. I, I'm growing up in public schools. I definitely saw how like yeah, public schools have to educate everyone, yeah. or at least they did. And, and, now now everyone's home, at home. And also the charter school teachers not unitized. That's that's a no, Uni- uh, no. big reason why charter. Neoliberals like charter schools because you can get rid of teachers unions. Those damn teachers unions. Um, and another point, especially about because uh, this ties in with related to the response to COVID nineteen, which is the Federal Reserve basically just gave one point five trillion. One point five trillion. trillion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they blow through it in like an hour. Or yeah. Something? So I want I want to explain this because this happened very similarly to the 2008 crash but it was it's a policy of called quantitative easing which basically means it's not tax money the government prints money but they don't even they don't physically print money what they do is just it's all done by computer so the federal reserve just basically in order to balance the the sheets of of uh of uh of the banks they just basically add like a couple zeros and move a decimal point to basically balance out their sheets to to essentially give confidence to the banks um, and and so-called make the economy healthier. So um, that was done in response because because of the the spread of COVID nineteen, it sent shockwaves through the stock market, and there was you know huge dip with the stock market. And I think that's when Trump really took it seriously. He didn't really he didn't really take the virus seriously, even though his administration knew about it. They were largely pretty hush hush and quiet about it. But what really made Trump do something was the reaction of the stock market. So, um, yeah. so the thing with quantitative easing is that the idea of it in theory is that if you give quantitative easing to banks, they're going to lend that money into the real economy. But what usually happens is that the banks pocket that, and then it'll what trickle down. Yeah, that's the idea. But that with the bailout, with the 2008 bailout, that largely didn't happen. There wasn't a lot of relief for homeowners, which is what should have happened. And so now we're seeing the same response: is that okay? There's this global pandemic where pretty much, like 
the the un, the the number of people filing for unemployment are is increasing increasing which actually puts a lie to the whole yeah. um remember they were saying like oh we have low unemployment low unemployment well now you have all these people filing for unemployment precarious. this shows yeah. that the jobs people had were precarious so um so now we're at the point where it's where it's we are it's, it's almost similar to, the, to 2008 in the sense of are we going to bail out the banks and large corporations and large industries or are we going to uh, give most of the relief to everyday people I think I think they're going to try and do. Both, Seems like it, I yeah. Think. It does seem like it because because you know it's the, people have often made the point that you that like canceling student debt is uh, that'd be like a great economic stimulus, and it actually like the federal government owns most student debt through Sally Mae mm-hmm. or whoever, so it actually wouldn't even. It's not like you would be screwing over individual banks who might be upset about it as much. The federal government could just write all that off, and that could provide, you know, a similar level of stimulus. Um, I think that, yeah, I mean, people, I, they will probably mail checks out, and, but you know, that that in and of itself is may not um, save things. No, I think it won't. we could be settling in for like you know, a much larger recession. And it's very, and it's kind of hard to think about a recession when like everything's shut down. And it's true. And it's kind of funny in the sense that like, yeah, during the middle of a civil war, like usually the economy's in recession, right? Yeah. Um, you know, so like, yeah, during catastrophic times, the economy is in, you know, will contract because, you know, for obvious reasons. But, you know, even once that settles, and I don't know, you know, I everything's just so miraculously timed. Everything yeah. I just that like it could settle, and the economy could boom right before the election and then collapse again. Um, yeah, and and to because the okay. system's very unstable. Like there's so much speculation. Like sixty five trillion dollars is the global GDP. That is essentially like the. Uh, the total value of the world's productive economy, of which the United States is, I think, sixteen point six trillion. Though I'm sure the numbers have changed. That was a few years ago. But the derivatives market is like in the hundreds of trillions, and that's all speculation. That's all yeah. money being made off of other people's money, and isn't tied to anything being produced. And so that could always just like you know is it stays together through force of will and through ideology but there's not it's not tangible to anything and also you can um i'm reading this book uh the half has never been told um by edward baptist and uh, i'm at the part of the book where he basically explains like a lot of the those the those kind of financial spec speculative practices a lot of that stuff really um were perfected so to speak during slavery um securitization stuff like that so you know and i I think um to to go back to you know china south korea and vietnam because those countries have you know a larger more active state um in terms of response to this uh, this pandemic the pandemic scientifically biologically still going still going on this pandemic will really end if, if there's a vaccine 
But in terms of the point that we're at now to the point that we could have a vaccine, which could probably be a year, until there's at least a year until there is an actual publicly available va- vaccine that's safe to use on a on a large scale, um, because countries like China, South Korea, and Vietnam have stronger states, they're more able to handle this kind of crisis. And I also think culturally, um, they, they they're a lot less individualistic than than the United States is. So it's it's almost like um, you know it's like like let's say if you live in um, somewhere like you know the 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 great plains area or or this deep south right like you know certain areas you have like tornado season or hurricane season it's a huge disaster but you're prepared for it right like okay go into this area just you know disaster preparedness and all that and life can go on what we're experiencing now with the united states because of the hollowing of social programs the wealth the 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 social welfare state and all the all these cushions that you need in a market capitalist system uh we're not prepared for it and that's a real crisis more more so yeah. than the deadliness of covid-19 as a disease the real the real deadliness comes from the system that we have because what it's shown so far yeah. is because you know you have um uh, uh you know so many people being laid off and filing for unemployment and there's all, all this economic security in terms of like where the hell is my neck my money coming from and and speaking as a musician one thing that i've experienced is um live music is just dead like no one because of social distancing you can't go to live shows anymore so um yeah i know people are live streaming concerts I think. yeah or uh, and i i have a i have a friend who's like doing dj mixes i haven't listened to them yet but i should but yeah i know people who were you know who make their livings through live entertainment of some sort either running a theater or some kind of program so those people those those people are really screwed because they as someone whose parents worked in arts education or like for art stuff the arts are always like the first things to suffer in any economic downturn and most of those people can barely keep the lights on, much less be able to suffer through two months. Um, I will. I also wanted to make a point about one of the other things about neoliberalism and like sort of neoliberal production and why it sort of is like when people talk about the supply chain, one of the things is that, you know, before in the earlier days, you had this problem of overproduction, which is basically like, a factory is only profitable if it's running all the time. And so, you know, you would run into the problem where, like, people would make so much shit and then it'd pile up in warehouses, but people couldn't sell it. And so then they'd have to throw it out. You know, very efficient. Um, this is a big part of what advertising is for to drive up demand, you know, or create artificial demand so that people buy needless stuff so that we can keep making needless stuff but and this is still true in many fields but a lot of stuff is also in what we call just in time production or lean production and if you think about it if you think about like there's some if you go to like an old school burger stand right they're just like it's like an assembly line where they're just like making burgers and pushing them mm-hmm. out and then like you and they just pack up you know stack up and then you buy you order one you buy one they take one off the stack you know that's like sort of the old school the new if you work in a fast food place or whatever now right 
you get an order on the screen and then you make that order and then it's sent but it's not but that order doesn't exist until you know someone has placed it that that product doesn't exist and that's basically like how we do a lot of things now so i was very confused when in walgreens they were saying i was i overheard someone talking and they were like uh yeah it'll be another two weeks before we get more toilet paper and like uh yeah and uh it, at the grocery store like some stuff is back but like like the meat counter is like you know pretty well stocked now mm-hmm. compared to a few days yeah. ago and that's something where you like process it every day i guess but i was confused because like there's still no detergent <laughs> there's still no laundry detergent and yeah there's still no toilet paper and it is like a situation where there aren't like toilet paper reserves there aren't reserves of right. things anymore yeah. where you know if there's unexpected demand they can you know roll that out to keep things stable mm-hmm. That we we don't do that anymore in many ways. It's it's very much like they make the thing when somebody orders the thing, and you know they're able to do it quickly enough that it seems yeah. It's basically the so that's one that that's why like the global supply chain as they talk about it is so fragile because this is happening all over the world, right? Like the factory in China gets doesn't has to get the order you know, and deliver it to Forever 21, like, in a week. Has, has to make it and deliver it in a week. Um, d- what's your, like, uh, this is related to what you're saying, but Peter, like, have you heard of um, capitalist realism? I'm sure you've heard it. Mark Fisher, the Mark Fisher thesis? Oh, have I? Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't thought about capitalist realism in this instance, but it is, it, I don't know what's, what it's doing to capitalist well, realism. Well, I... This is one of those things you can't analyze from a distance because you're going through it. I think so. This is my sort of, this is something I've been thinking about. Like, I think um, the the kind of, I think, people's responses and sort of, I think, uh, the overall collective anxiety, particularly in the United States and all, all over the world, really, because it, Italy, again, they're experiencing the largest, I'd say like the, the real kind of crisis when it comes to the spread of, of COVID-19 is in Italy. Um, it's less so China now because China has it l- no. a little bit more under control. I'll, but I want to talk about Iran after. This. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So, I'll, so when it comes to capitalist realism, I think so. Mark Fisher's theory, thesis on capitalist realism was basically uh, people. It's easier for people to imagine the end of the world rather than the end of capitalism. And I think what we're going through right now is almost like a end of the world sort of thing and the reason why i say that is because people's behavior it like when i was going to the grocery store and yeah similar to to fucking well also all the eggs are gone like when i went to trader joe's and safeway all the eggs are gone the meat is pretty much i'd I'd say stacked up um toilet yeah there was no butter but i found some at walgreens yeah uh toilet paper paper towels those are all gone um even some parts of the country people are stocking up on guns so it seems like people's responses is, is to me it's very similar to if you've been watching a lot of zombie movies like a zombie apocalypse kind of reaction and so it's it's easier i think culturally in the u.s to imagine like a zombie apocalypse end of the world scenario but no one can really imagine the end of capitalism and what a society or world would look like 
without capitalism. And I think that's pretty much... Well, that's because capitalism is human nature, Adam. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Is like That's what we've been told, right? That, you know, capitalism as a system is pretty... In, in terms of the span of human history, capitalism is like a it's like a speck, right? It's it hasn't been around for that long, but we've been, you know, told and convinced that capitalism is the only thing. It's human nature. Um, it, it almost kind of reminds me of the Francis Fukuyama uh, end of history sort of thesis. But basically, history's back, right? baby. <laughs> or uh, Margaret Thatcher's uh, Tina. There is no alternative, right? So I think that's what we're going through right now, collectively, that the entire capitalist system, particularly the neoliberal capitalist system in the United States, was very clear is that it cannot handle a global pandemic. And no one knows what the fuck to do. It's almost like the entire country's... I feel like one half, at least one half of the country is like, a chicken with his head cut off, like running like a chicken with his head cut off. Um, and the other half of the country is sort of like just not taking it seriously. But, you know, it's going to, I mean, I hate to say it, I, th- I really think it's going to get worse before it gets better. So it's bad now. Yeah. It's going to get worse. Um, things will get better. But I think, yeah. you know. Part of the thing about flattening the curve is that you're elongating it. Yeah. So you. So, like, yeah, it's, it, you know, you can lessen the toll, but people have to undergo this for a long time. And I think very, I mean, very much so certain people are watching to see how much the population will take before people, before everyone starts getting cabin fever and breaking out. I mean, I, I do understand kind of the mega mentality, though it's not all mega people, obviously, or just the mentality of, like, Whatever, man. I mean, government says I should do something, but I all this stuff's still open, so why not? Why not party? Why should, you know? I understand that a little bit more, I guess, than, like, I feel like the PMC is very getting, you know, is getting, like, here's a list of spreadsheets of all the behaviors you, you should avoid and all that stuff. And I can, I can empathize with you know, like, well, I don't have to do it, so why should I follow this stuff? Though, it is also, like, don't be a fucking idiot, dude. Yeah. Just, like, go along. Just go along. Just, like, stay home play video games. Like, you do. that's what you were going to do anyway. So don't be a contrarian about this. Mega people, so much of the right is just pure contrarianism, and it's very annoying. Um, but I wanted to talk about Iran yes. specifically because... Hey, isn't it interesting that they got hit pretty quickly after China? Isn't it interesting how that happened? I'm just going to say that. But also, there are a whole... There are new sanctions, yep. I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are, they're, they're implementing new sanctions that will restrict Iran's ability to buy medical. On top of the already horrific and strict sanctions that Iran's going through right now. And by the way, you know, when you did those... Sanctions are basically an act of war. Um you know, it's not like an act of war where, you know, you're shooting people, but, you know... It's economic right, warfare. Exactly. So we... The goal is to get a society to yeah, collapse. And that's what Iran is going through, yeah. So, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I oh. yeah. So, the point is that, like, there's a hybrid, you know... There, there's certain ways in which, like, it can be utilized as biological warfare in the same way that's like, okay, the British didn't invent smallpox but they knew how to put it on a blanket and give it to 
the Native American to I don't remember which nation it was. I'm sorry, but you know that you know the story. Um, it's like you know, like I said, a lot of people are not letting this good crisis go to waste. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm glad you said that because I've been seeing some chatter on the left on social media because. I think some people are expecting because Donald Trump is, you know, handing out checks and stuff like that, that, you know, he he might be it seems like he's it appears he's flanking the Democrats from the left and that like, oh, we, we might see Donald Trump implement Medicare for all or something like that, which I'm not I, I I'm I, he's not going to no. do anything during the campaign running. He's definitely going to run against Biden to his yeah. left, which is a smart move. But yeah, I mean, they're still fucking Republicans. Right. I mean, dude. there's and stop going, stop watching Tucker. And also, You're not stop being on the left and watching Tucker. I'm, and also, like you know, there's this 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 you know, Mitch McConnell in the Senate. Like you know, he's not gonna he's not gonna pass any Medicare for fucking all bill. Like you know, so, um, you know, and I think yeah, because especially given that this is during an election, and look, there's only one guy running on a platform that could mitigate this crisis the most, and that's Bernie Sanders with his Medicare for All. Because, again, you know, countries like China and South Korea have single-payer health care. They have strong welfare states. Um, Bernie Sanders' platform, which basically expands the welfare state, yeah, that would work. And there is there is an article basically saying that there's a panel of experts, um, yeah, public health experts, said that, um, it's in common dreams, but they were saying that um, single-payer systems um are more effective at coping with the covid19 pandemic so um but obviously you know at this point the democrats are so hell-bent on um uh undercutting sanders that you know they're willing to um i mean they did (laughs) by holding all those all those primaries like they were like fuck the public health we need to secure our guys' wins, and right that now. was so fucking cynical and negligent. Especially during a crisis where, like, you need social distancing, and the Democrats are like, "Nope, we're gonna hold the fucking elections and have people standing out there for hours and voting." It's like, well, what's more important, um, mitigating a pandemic or voting, or democracy? I mean, it's, it's just um, nothing more important than democracy because they really, they really want to expedite joe biden becoming the nominee that's basically what it is so they're willing to expedite the process um and risk public health safety in order to have joe biden who again is a fucking mummy and he's not gonna do i biden's not gonna you know do anything because he did say that if medicare if a medicare for all proposal were to come to his desk he wouldn't sign it so This is what we're dealing with, that the Democrats are willing to put someone like him, Joe Biden, as a nominee over someone who, again, has an actual effective policy to mitigate the crisis. And, you know, all all the kind of spreadsheet and means testing policies of people like Kamala Harris, and that's that's not going to work to mitigate a crisis of this scale, which, again, proves the point that our current political and economic system and our way of thinking is not equipped to handle a crisis like this but it but it may end up doing it anyway and I mean, and so yeah i 
sometimes I feel that it's like very much so America is like uh is the like uh you know kind of oafish but likable you know not maybe not maybe the captain of the football team but maybe like an offensive lineman sometimes hmm. I mean there's definitely like the like all American shit but what I'm talking about is just like you know he's uh, he's like the offensive offensive line he's like goofy but then like you know i guess he gets moods and he gets real angry and he like does really violent shit or whatever but he just then just like goes about life and he makes a lot of mistakes but you know somehow he's got like the white american charm you know so that he just like somehow never gets punished for it and i'm very concerned that like i joe biden is exactly that kind of a person Mm, where it's like if he went through you know, four decades of just unleashing terrible things on people. And I get, you know, maybe he did a couple good things. I will, I will admit that like the title nine enforcement on college campuses, um, that was a good thing that he, you know, helped spearhead. Yeah. But, you know, overall it's like, and you, and you were like part of the problem and now you end up being rewarded for it. It's like the, you know, it's failing upward. And you can, I feel like you can only fail upward for so long before it's like, wait a second, none of these people know what they're doing. Um, and the people at the bottom, you know, or the people that are like being held in check, like maybe China, for example, you know, they know what they're doing about stuff. And so, you know, it's that, you know, you know, things may, consequences may end up happening, but. It's, I don't know. I mean, I, nobody knows what's happening. Really yeah, this is... Interesting times. This is uncharted territory we're in. You know, this is... And I think... I've been seeing a lot of people say, you know, we're not going to go back to normal and people kind of going back and forth. But I do think... But they think that we can. Yeah. My, um, I, I'll just say I had a talk with a fervent Biden voter mm. recently. And, yeah, he really just believed that, like, you know, things can go back to normal. They can go back to, I don't know, like, what they thought normal was in the fucking Obama years. I remember them. They kind of sucked. But, you know, I think the boomer mentality is just, like, they love America. They love, they like capitalism. And they think that, like, everything should be okay. And they, and, like... It doesn't matter, but, you know, I, yeah, it's trying to explain neoliberalism to boomers is like, we should hold like a, uh, some sort of like teach mandatory course where we understand. Oh. Cause like y'all literally live through it and you don't know what it right. is. It's kind of nuts that, but I guess, yeah, they don't, they don't have that kind of historical distance that we do where we look at the past 40 years as something that happened and then you know now we are subject to these historical events for them it was just like that was their life and that's just the way life is and so they don't really expect it to be significantly different or really want it to be because that's what they're used to and i think that's a lot of i think that's a lot of shit that you know is hard to break through even without you know them mainlining msnbc 12 hours a day yeah uh we're we're at 10 we're at 107 yeah. so let's maybe i'll 
kind of wind things I, down. I'll um, I'll try to end on a um, well, I, I don't want to say hopeful, but well, I'll end on this note because I think um, you know, in uh, reading about and talking to people about the 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 pandemic. I think it's easy, it's very easy to go into two paths that I don't think are helpful. One path is just total denial, right? It's like, ah, oh, whatever, it's just the flu, I'm going to go out, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's that's a bad approach, right? So, yeah, COVID-19, take it seriously. The other approach is total despair. They're like, we're all going to die, we can't do anything. And it's like, okay, well, if you look throughout history, we've dealt with pandemics. That's why I mentioned the bubonic plague. We dealt with the bubonic plague. We dealt with Spanish flu. And yeah, like a lot of people are going to die. And I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, water that down or like, or, or, you know, like that's a very serious thing. And it's, it's something that's very, very scary to think about. And I think it makes sense for people to be frightened at that prospect that large numbers of people could die by a new virus that, is unfamiliar to us and one that we haven't developed an immunity to us, um, an immunity to. So, uh, but the thing is, in terms of humanity itself and, and human civilization, like we have dealt with pandemics, and I think there there are things to learn for this current pandemic. So I think um, I don't I don't I I'm at the point where I don't want to be in total denial, but I also don't want to be in total um, despair. And I'll, I'll end with this note. Um, so I mentioned that I'm a musician, and uh, one of the ways in which the COVID-19 pandemic impacted me personally is that I was supposed to go to a multicultural celebration in, in Oakland because um, I, I play West African drumming, um, the djembe. I've been playing that for over four years, a couple years now. Um and it's something I like doing for, you know, cultural and um, cultural heritage and ethnic reasons. So um, I was supposed to go to multicultural celebration. It was going to have like Mayan and Aztec dancing and Filipino martial arts. So it was going to be really cool. Um, and it was at this school in Oakland. It was mostly kindergarten to elementary to middle schoolers. Um, you know, right as we were hearing about the reports of COVID-19 spreading in the, in the United States, um they decided to cancel the event. And um, I mention that because um, one reason I like playing West African drumming and is because I think uh, there's a lot to learn when it comes to pre-colonial African traditions that I think are relevant to today. So the the word djembe, it, the language is Bambara. So Bambara is a language that's spoken in, in Mali in West Africa. So the word djembe roughly translates to to gather everyone together in peace. That's basically what the word means in a nutshell. And what I find fascinating about rhythm in Africa that really you can see traces of it in diasporic African music from African-American music to Afro-Cuban music to Brazilian music, stuff like that. Um, the reason why rhythm is so emphasized in Africa is because it's seen as a language. So people preserve their language, their stories through rhythm and dance and drum. And it's a way that everyone can remember it, um, aside from just the written word. So drummers are seen as, uh, there's a saying that um, a really good djembe player can make the djembe talk or tell a story. 
because again, rhythm is, is seen as a language. And what I, what the, the lesson I want to take from that that applies to this pandemic is what I find fascinating is that, um, that right there builds community, right? So the rhythm, one of the, one of the effects of rhythm being used, um, in in pre-colonial Africa and and I think still today in African villages the the parts of Africa that aren't as um I guess uh modernized so to speak as as other parts but um what the rhythm does is it builds a sense of community it brings people together um and it it, it reinforces a real uh collective and communal spirit which that's something I think particularly in the United States and in the West that we we don't really have like we don't really have like a real collective or communal spirit and i think like you know beyond any kind of um specific uh um vaccines and science and things that are available uh the the real thing i think that's going to help us get through it through this is real human solidarity community and that collective spirit rather than just a individualistic dog eat dog i'm gonna get what's mine fuck everybody else kind of mentality and that's the thing that um i worry about that our response to this pandemic is just going to reinforce that individualistic dog eat dog mentality rather than okay let's come together and fix this because we're all going to be impacted by a pan by the pandemic um and even at this point People were saying that it just impacts old people, but there's plenty of young people who are being impacted and, and you know, infected and dying of of, uh, of COVID-19. So I want to end on, on that note, that I really think that the way we're going to get over this pandemic and the way that we're going to really build a better future anyway, aside from the presence of the pandemic or not, is there really needs to be real human solidarity and real community. And we're going to have to... I think reimagine what that looks like past 2020. Um, but I want to take that, you know, lesson from what I've learned from studying African drumming to apply it today. Um, so yeah, that, that, that'll, I'll, that'll be it for me. That, that'll, I'll, I'll end on that note. Um, do you have anything to say, Peter? Or Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm dealing with some other extraneous, exceedingly, terrible bullshit but i don't really want to get into it right now um because it is like like if i were dealing with this without that then i feel like it would be um a lot different but then again i feel like in so many parts of my life i've been able to be like well if this one thing didn't exist then like everything would be okay but it's like that everything's part and parcel of everything and it's just been very strange to me in the sense that you know, and I think this is true for a lot of people, you know, and the margins in and, uh, you know, on the who are working paycheck to paycheck and stuff where it's like you literally don't know where you're going to be in the next five, three or four months. I mean, you literally you literally like don't know what's going to happen to you and you hope that things that you may be able to do this and you try to plan for it. Um, that was, you know thinking about sort of this summer and like, you know, me trying to like get out of Portland or, you know, and move 
and move to like an actual city or whatever and you know begin like a new phase of my life like that's all gone or i wouldn't say it's gone but you know it's definitely like those kinds of plans you know really get put a hold on but at the same time i feel like i really always it almost makes sense that this is happening in the sense that i really you know how it's like the plan thing that like that like is going to happen like and you're like yeah no everyone is like yeah this is happening and then you're like but there's no way there's no way we could actually do this um I feel like that's sort of collectively for the world. It was like whatever was we were going to do in the next six months, because I don't know, election years, presidential election years are like very strange years, real, real reality distortion shit. I mean, it's when sort of the full reality controlling power of the state and media apparatuses get put into full force, you know, on full display. And it's, it seems like, yeah, maybe some, this is, if I hate, like, this is like <laughs> a movie because we're past that. And it's like, this isn't like a movie, but it is not like a thing. It, it, it is entirely according to script, but also like, this is really, the fact that this is the script, I think is what trips me up. It is very much kind of like the super tuesday house of cards move where i was like this is, they're doing it they're following this they're following a script that makes sense for them but they really are not thinking about like what a regular person would perceive this as i guess i think that maybe that's too abstract but uh i you know i don't know if i don't want to i don't <laughs> like hope anymore because Obama kind of ruined that and just the idea that like it'll all get better like I don't know if it will you know and it's like we've gone through worse things I don't who is we like not the people that died they didn't make it through so it's like I don't know you know what to say to people and that's probably bad as someone who wants to like you know who imagines themselves to like have a way with words but I think that's what you know, it's, I mean, this is it. This is life in somehow or another. This is, this is the life we have right now. And we're going to have to figure, we're going to have to, you know, do what we can to try and I guess do make as good a situation out of it. And maybe we can utilize, maybe we can get some benefits like society wide, but I, you know, I'm not, I, I think people gotta like, uh, you know, just be good with themselves first, and you know, just I don't know. Just I think I think that for like a society, you know, a generation with a lot of depression and anxiety and stuff, this is like a real test, and you know, this is a real mental test. And part of me thinks that I'm ready for it, but then it's like I don't know. I don't know. What, I don't know what it is that I might be ready for. So, <laughs> sorry to end on a downer. Yeah, but. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's. I mean, we're all going through complex feelings because this is. The I, I don't I don't think anyone on this planet is alive to have experienced a pandemic of this scale. I think the only most recent one 
was the Spanish flu of 1920. I, I, like, I think most of the people... I'm sure they, I'm sure they can find yeah, one 110-year-old person or something. Very few, it's, though. It's irrelevant. But, um, yeah, this I think it's totally normal to feel scared, anxious. I mean, I've been going through that as well, personally. Because, um, yeah, this is uncharted territory. Um, it is frightening. And... Um, I think that anxiety is okay and it's normal to feel that way. But, um, you know, I, I tried it. Yeah. Pers- personally, I'm good. I mean, honestly, I'm fine right now. I don't, I, I'm okay. But, you know, trying to like, you know, rest some meaning no, out of it, you can't yeah. do it right Yeah, now, it's almost impossible. Because again, this is nothing like we've experienced in generations so i mean like there's going to be a lot of confusion and even i said earlier about COVID 19 there's a lot we still don't know so even my own summations like that's nowhere near enough to explain this disease so we're kind of like and all the social and economic forces behind it because you know yeah it's like it's there isn't just like a regular pandemic or whatever in the sense that, like, there are no natural disasters, mm-hmm. there are social disasters. It's like I've I I'm applying the same principle where like it's not just the disease; it's how like a, you know this current currently instantiated world reacts to it with all of its perverse motives. And that's and that's the know, thing that centers. worries me the most is our collective response to the pandemic. Because, like I said, I think human solidarity, community that's going to be really important going forward but whether we collectively respond in such a manner particularly in a country like the united states i don't know and i'm not sure like if if there are a lot of people in this country who are going to feel that way so you know it remains to be seen how this country's going to handle it but i mean me but but we will be there to provide you with updates as it goes on i suppose yeah. We have nowhere else to go. I saw I, I saw a Facebook stats that was like male men under thirty five. I'm begging you in these trying times to <laughs> not start a podcast. Too late. It's like ah, too I just, late. Yeah, I too we are both under thirty five, so too late. Too late. Alright. Um anyway, yeah, so um support us on Patreon, patreon.com blah patreon.com slash real hours. We're also on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash hours. Um, we're on Spotify as well. Um, we, we need to we need to do we have to fix up our RSS feed, but uh, we are on Spotify. It's gotta upload yeah, it's gotta upload more oh, episodes. Right. Yeah. Um Yeah, and uh, I I'll I'll make just a kind of quick announcement because I mentioned uh, music, but uh, you know, if anyone's curious about uh, my own music projects <clears throat> I'm on SoundCloud as well, and uh, honestly, if if you just want to see, listen to my music, or even my, yeah, like my music or my writing, um, adamhudson.org, adamhudson.org, all my, my website's basically sort of a central place for all the stuff I do, so my writing, my music, all that, all that stuff, so, um, yeah, I, I, I just, um, I recorded a video of me playing West African drumming, so I, I, I'm gonna try to upload that. 
Um, I don't know where. I might. I'm probably gonna put it. There's this open mic I go to actually. This is pretty cool. But this open mic I I like going to in San Francisco. They're having people record um, videos of themselves playing music and sending it online. So it's almost like a virtual open mic. So I recorded a video for that. Um, trying to record more solo music. So be on the lookout for that. Um. Anyway, yeah, and please support us. If you if you're a patron for five dollars a month, you get double the episodes. You get our bonus content, our bonus episodes. Um, and yeah, we during this pandemic, <laughs> I never I never thought like when we first did this podcast, I never thought like we'd be dealing with a pandemic, but here we are. But <laughs> no, but I will say I knew. Like I said, she gets weird during presidential election years, and I did want to make sure I had an outlet. Yeah. Because she gets yeah. weird. That's all I can say. So, hope you're here to get oh, weird yeah. with us. All um, right. and But, uh, yeah, stay strong. Wash your hands. Uh, do drugs if you got them. Uh, read, you know, mm-hmm. pet your cat. And, uh, also, vitamin C and zinc help your immune system. So, yeah. So, yes, uh, so yeah. So. Stay healthy. Take some vitamin C and some zinc. You know, um, and yeah, take care of yourself and take care of each other. All right. Peace. All right. Peace.